0: Our reading this morning is from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out,
1: Wonderful words for us this morning to be reminded that we belong to God, that we are his, right? To know that we are his children, that he calls us to faith, that he works that gift of faith in in us uh, to do remarkable, amazing things, not only in us, but through us. And there are lots of definitions in the scriptures that we could use, uh, force faith, excuse me, for faith. Uh, We could talk about faith comes by, not by sight, but, but by Good grief. Sorry, guy, I'm all tongue-tied this morning. I was overwhelmed by that song, actually. That was, faith does not come by sight, is what I was trying to say, but one of my favorites is from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews gives us this definition of faith, and I, I think it's something that we can all take to heart and kind of keep with us. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. And I actually want you to say these words with me. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in about what we do not see. So, children of faith who are confident and assured in Jesus Christ, grace and peace are yours. Amen. Well, in preparation for, uh, for last week's sermon, Pastor Max and I were talking a bit about uh, what, what we were going to preach on and just kind of reflecting on some of the things together. And, um, and we were dealing with one particular point. I pulled out um, one of my favorite books, a, a book called Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And I was kind of looking something up that we were talking about, and in that book um, last week I found um, something I didn't expect to find. I don't expect all of you to be able to read this, but at the top of it it says "Schedule for Mexico Mission Trip," and it's dated January or June 22nd, 2001. So 16 years ago, right, this is a schedule that I had put together for this mission trip. Uh, that I was a part of it, we did for about 10 years. It was a group of about 150 to 180 high school kids who came from about five different churches. Um, We all met up together in New Mexico, either in in Ruidos or in in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and we would gather up, get our stuff ready, and then we would go into Mexico, in Ciudad Juarez, which is just south of El Paso, Texas, and we would build houses with an organization called Casas por Cristo, all right? And building these houses, our group actually built about five, usually five houses um, in that week, there were these small houses. The kids did all the work themselves with the help of a foreman um, from CASAS to make sure that they were doing things right and that the house, at the end of the day, looked like a house, right? Um, and so this group was, uh, was something that really kind of was generated from these churches and, and grew strong together. Um, well, I found this last week, and, and I was kind of nostalgic a little bit for that trip, and I kind of looked at it a little, and then I put it back in the book, and I closed the book. And the top of it was sticking out, just the very top. And when I was looking at the book this week, I looked over at it, and I saw it there in the paper sticking out the top, and at the back, there were some handwritten notes. And I looked at them, and I went, oh, those were the movements, the notes, demonstrating the movements for the sermon that I preached at White Sands National Monument, the night before we went into Mexico. You see, we would all gather up and get ready and do all of our work to prepare, and then we would go uh, to White Sands. That's actually White Sands. It's a beautiful place. It's, uh, it's, it's stunning and amazing, and it's in the absolute middle of nowhere, right? And we would go there, and we would let the kids play on the dunes and so on, and then we would pick one of those sides, and we would all gather together for worship and for the Lord's Supper as we celebrated the Last Supper together before we went in, into Mexico. And I was preaching that night, And I was preaching that night on Matthew chapter 14. And what I noticed on the paper here, I noticed the notes that I made were the exact same notes that I had made for the sermon in preparation for today. (laughs) So I haven't changed in 16 years, have you guys? (laughs) But some of the very same things that still speak to us from God's word were the things that spoke to us that night in White Sands. Of what it means to focus on Jesus, to keep our eyes fixed on him, the things that he can do in us, to have the confidence and assurance that comes from a faith worked in us by our Savior, a confidence and assurance that allows us in all things to keep our attention on him. Well, we have to kind of set the scene again and remember that we're, we're following through in Matthew chapter 14. We were in Matthew 14 last week, And we remember the sequence of events. John the Baptist had been beheaded. Then because of that, Jesus had withdrawn, trying to get some solace, some solitude by himself, a place to pray. As he had gone across the lake, he was met on the other side by a vast crowd of people. How many people? Excellent. Caleb, you're my man. 5,000 plus women and children, right, who had met him there on the countryside. Jesus had, had compassion on this crowd that was there to be with him. And in his compassion, he healed their sick, and he fed them. We're reminded of what it means to know that Jesus is with us. Well, this is like what happens next in Matthew 14. You could be like a TV show next on Matthew 14. Thanks for laughing. First service didn't. (laughs) What happens next is that Jesus gets the solitude that he desired. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. The solitude that he had sought, that time alone, the communion with his Father, he now had. As he dismissed the crowd, as he dismissed the boat, he allowed himself that moment, that time that he needed through the night to just be in communion with his Father. But as he did, a storm blew up. A storm came all around him and tormented the people who were on the lake, the disciples that he had sent there. Jesus went up by himself on a mountain tied, tied to pray. Late that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn that's how it begins the next line. But I had written In my notes, Jesus missed the boat because he was praying alone. He had sent them out all by themselves while he himself withdrew. And you can imagine the disciples going away and saying, we don't want to be separated from you. Think of all the amazing things that could be done in just this very moment. They had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 plus women and children. their sick they had just been in this moment and now he dismisses them and he doesn't go with them so you can imagine that there's a longing in them to still be with jesus but jesus sends them away alone and then it says in the morning he saw the boat a good distance away and the disciples were there in the midst of the storm and they couldn't keep going because the wind was against them the other scriptures tell us that they were straining at the oars They were a considerable distance away, and they couldn't make any headway because the wind and the waves were buffeting them, were against them, were pushing against them. Jesus sees all of this from the shore. Now what he does next is baffling. You see, Jesus sees this all happening, and he's standing on the shore. If he saw the boat from the shore, this is what I wrote in my notes, why not just calm the storm from there? Why not just speak the word? He had already done it in the Gospel of Matthew. Why not just calm the storm from the side? Why not just stay there in safety? And we learn that this is more about calming more than about just calming a storm. Instead, Jesus begins to walk toward them. And the fact that he begins to walk toward them tells us something critical. It tells us that Jesus wanted to be with the disciples in the boat in their moment of greatest need. That in and of itself is a takeaway for us, isn't it? The acknowledgement that Jesus is with us in the midst of our greatest storm, in the midst of that which ails us, in the midst of that which is buffeting us from all sides, that Jesus wants to be with us in the midst of it, with us in our hour of need. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. When we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, we celebrate that Jesus came to be with us in the midst of our, of our messiness and our confusion, that he came to be with us when enemies ally against us, that he came to be with us in the midst of all of the difficulties that we have and the things that surround us and the times when we say, I can't possibly go forward. In the midst of all of that, Jesus doesn't just stand far off removed. But instead, he comes to us. Jesus wanted to be with his disciples in the boat in their hour of need. And so he does this crazy thing. He walks out on the water. Jesus, before dawn, went out to them walking on the lake. And as he walks toward them, the disciples see him and they're terrified, it says. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now what the disciples believe is everything that they've ever known. Right, Because everything that they've ever known, remember, half of them are fishermen. Everything that they've ever known is that this is a particularly bad day on the water. As the wind is against them, as they're being buffeted, but they're trying to get to the other side, they know that they're in real peril. But what they also know is that human beings can't walk on water. Right? They had been through Trisha's children's message. And so they don't know what's coming toward them. But they assume it's not good. They cry out in terror and in fear. And then the next word immediately Jesus said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus announces his presence to them. Jesus went out on the lake to be with his disciples in the midst of their storm. What happens next is equally preposterous, right? And I'm one who will stand before you with full confidence and yes, with some experience and say, human beings make bad choices, right? I'm not the only one in this, human beings make bad. I don't know why we do some of the things we do. We do, we do things all the time where you have like one decision or you know, a decision whether to do this or to do this and you choose the preposterous one Right? Okay, let me use a frivolous example. I'm a sports fan, so you're going to have to bear with me. 2000 Sydney Olympics, right? Team USA is stomping through the Olympics as they were doing at that point, playing against Team France. Vince Carter. Vince Carters an amazing basketball player for Team USA. Team USA in the middle of the game. he steals a pass, turns around, break away to the rim. The only thing that stands between him and two points is Friedrich Wise, who is the center for France. Friedrich Wise is seven foot two. All right, so in case you're wondering, seven foot two, add eight inches onto me. So Vince Carter knows that he absolutely owns Friedrich Wise on the basketball court. He could go left and go around him. He could go right and go around him. He could pull up and hit a jump shot in his face. Instead, in a split second, what goes through through his mind? I know, I'll just jump over him. (laughs) That's the picture of Vince Carter dunking as he jumps over seven foot two Friedrich Weiss. I have no idea why he chose that, that course of action, but I'm here to tell you that humans do absurd things all the time. And so when Peter hears Jesus say, take courage, don't be afraid, it is I, he trusts these words, and then he does something absurd. He does something preposterous. Right? He could simply say, Jesus, if it's you, where do we live? Jesus, if it's you, what miracle did you just perform on the shore? Jesus, if it's you, do you have any more bread? Instead, he says, if it's you, tell me to walk on the water. And Jesus answers, come, come. And don't miss this. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water. Walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Peter walked on the water. Jesus allowed him to do what he asked. He walked on the water toward Jesus. And as he walked on the water toward Jesus, all didn't go exactly smoothly. We don't know what it was the next moment that happens, but it says this: when he saw the wind. Now, this is something that I've always puzzled on and I've proof because 16 years ago I wrote, Peter saw the wind, question mark. You cannot see wind. You can only see wind's effects. He knew the wind that had been against them all night. Peter was a fisherman. He knew about the lake. He knew about the damage that the waves could do. And whether a wave rose up at that moment that separated his sight from Jesus or what, we don't know. But Peter saw the wind. He became encompassed by the fear that surrounded him. He became encompassed by what was happening. That here he was standing in the middle of a lake, walking across the water. And he became overwhelmed by the fear. And so he begins to sink. He takes his eyes off Jesus. Peter's faith is not misplaced, it is immature. Hear me again. Peter's faith is not misplaced, it is immature. You see, Peter wants what Peter wants in this moment. He is seeking his his own plan, his own course. This is what he decided. And because he does, he pushes farther than his faith will allow him to go. He pushes farther saying this is what must happen. And Jesus, being who Jesus is, allows him to do it. And Peter immediately finds himself in over his head. Pun intended. People immaturely push faith like this all the time we make absurd requests of god and we say to god this is the way that it has to be and we make it about us rather than about god you see that's what makes that immature you see what peter should have done would be to call out to jesus jesus what would you have us do next jesus what are the next steps jesus please come into the boat See, mature faith seeks God's purposes, not our own. Mature faith asks God what he would have of us. Mature faith puts us in situations God places us, rather than the things that we have charted for ourselves. Peter finds himself in over his head because he focuses on himself. When we find ourselves in those situations, we do the exact same thing. We feel ourselves suddenly being overwhelmed Our faith has pushed us to a place where we can't handle it, and we see the wind, and we see all of those things that are allied against us, and we fear. And in our fear, our eyes are taken off Jesus. You see, that's what we learn from this. We learn that fear is the enemy of faith because it takes our focus off Jesus. Fear is the enemy of faith, not doubt. Doubt is a byproduct of fear. Fear is the enemy of faith because it causes us to take our focus off Jesus and to focus instead on the enemies. But Jesus had made Peter and the disciples a promise Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter trusted that promise. And so in the midst of sinking, he chooses to stop making bad decisions. And it says he called out to Jesus. And as he called out to Jesus, he said this, Lord, save me. And you know what the next word is? Immediately. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, took hold of Peter, Peter, Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Immediately. That's what Jesus does. Even in the midst of our fear and the doubts that our fear causes, in the midst of that moment, we learn two really, really important things. We learn, first of all, that Jesus doesn't just leave us in that moment. doesn't just leave us to sort of founder around on our own and say, why don't you tread water for a little while? No, immediately. But the second thing, is that Jesus was close enough to simply reach out to Peter. That he was there in the midst of the storm. That he was close enough to simply lift him out. And then he says to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And and maybe he asks it rhetorically, but we could answer that question, couldn't we? I doubted because I was afraid. Peter, why did you doubt? Fear caused me to take my focus off you. Jesus doesn't rebuke him in that moment, but instead it says, lift him into the boat. And once he is in the boat, Jesus climbs into the boat, and at that point, the storm is calmed. Now, notice this. The sequence matters. Right? Every single detail in this matters. The sequence of events matters. We shouldn't miss this because it's something of a prescription for us. Right? That there is a storm. Now, let's make it metaphorical for a second. There is that thing that is coming against us, that difficult moment, that moment where we say to ourselves, I'm lost and I'm in danger. That moment where we say to myself, where we say to ourselves, the world is crumbling and around us. That moment where we say, my sin is too great. That moment where we say, my loss is too great. That moment where we say, the brokenness is too real. There is a storm. And Jesus doesn't just stay on the shore and decide to fix it from there. Instead, Jesus comes in the midst of it. He comes in the midst of the storm to be with his people. And then faith sometimes makes it worse. Where we push God to do something that he hasn't planned for us to do. Where we decide to seek ourselves first and we make things just a little bit worse. And yet Jesus has not left us. In that moment when we trust the promise that he has made, that he is with us always, we cry out, Lord, save me. And immediately, he reaches out his hand. Then he places us back in the boat and he calms the storm. See, so often we want Jesus just to fix everything and just to stay on the shore instead of realizing that what he's doing is working in us, instead of realizing that what he's doing in each of us is showing us his abiding presence, instead of realizing that what he's doing in the midst of all of this is not only restoring us and keeping us safe, but causing us to grow and to be enriched in what we know about him, to be encouraged in our relationship with him, to be assured of the things that we cannot see and confident in the things that we hope for. That we might live confident and assured in what Jesus has done. With faith in Jesus, storms do not end. But instead what we learn is that faith focused on Jesus overcomes fear of the storms. Faith focused on Jesus overcomes fear. That night in White Sands, was the last supper for a lot of those kids, before we went into Mexico, they were all nervous. And I stood before them that day and I said, we're gonna go and we're gonna build these houses. And most of you who haven't been on this, you don't know this, so I'm gonna tell you right now, you are going to be more tired than you have ever been in your entire life because the kids were gonna sleep in sleeping bags on concrete floors, and the overnight temperature was like 80, 85 degrees. You are going to be hungrier than you ever have been in your lives because we gave them a sandwich for lunch, a sandwich for dinner, and granola bars for breakfast. You are going to be more physically exhausted than you have ever been because you're going to be swinging hammers and using power tools that your parents try to hide from you in your house. (laughs) But you're going to be able to see the joy in the face of the homeowners who are working with you the joy of the community people who are all around you. And I said to them, I want you to take this to heart. Because God is using this to encourage your faith and theirs. That he is allowing you to be present with them in the midst of their difficulty. And to know that Jesus is there with you. And so I asked them a question it's a question that rings true even 16 years later. The question that I'm going to leave you with this morning. Knowing that that faith focuses on Jesus, that faith focused on Jesus overcomes fear, what would you do if you weren't afraid? For the glory of Jesus. Amen.